0: Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cusino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Last week, we introduced the book of Hebrews. And remember, we said we don't know for sure who the author of Hebrews is, but whoever he is, we know that he is writing to a group of Jewish believers in Christ who are tempted to return to their old ways, to go back to their old ways. They're facing extreme persecution in the Roman Empire, and so they're tempted to return to Judaism, Because Judaism was not outlawed by the Roman Empire. It provided a safe alternative to Christianity. And then remember we said the author of Hebrews is coming along and encouraging them. No, don't turn from Christ. Jesus is greater. He is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament pointed to. So, that's what we talked about last week. This week, we are reading chapter 7 through 11. And in this week's reading, you're going to see a lot of discussion about the Old Covenant, or it's also called the First Covenant, and what's called the New Covenant. So I want to go over some things about these covenants because this can be a source of confusion when people are trying to understand not only the book of Hebrews, but really Scripture as a whole. Because covenants give us a framework for understanding the bigger picture of the Bible. So it's very important that we understand what's going on with these these covenants. But we have to understand them in the context of the greater biblical story. So if we go all the way back to the beginning, if we go back to Genesis, remember God creates mankind. And he places Adam and Eve in the garden. And they have an intimate relationship with God. Genesis talks about God walking in the garden. That that word walking is the same word later used to describe God's presence with Israel in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and in the temple. So Adam and Eve had an unhindered relationship with God. Remember, God created people to have a relationship with him. One refrain that you see throughout the Old Testament is, I will be their God and they will be my people. God says that over and over again because he wants to have a relationship with mankind. And he does in the garden. But then Adam and Eve sin, and they're exiled from the garden. And sin starts to multiply. It spirals out of control. And in response, God floods the earth. He starts over in a sense, but he spares Noah and his family by his Grace and God forms a covenant with Noah. He promises to never flood the earth again. This is like a a new beginning, and Noah is like a, a new Adam of sorts. And like Adam, he is told to multiply and fill the earth, he's given a commission. But also, like Adam, Noah sins almost immediately, he gets drunk on wine he plants a vineyard he makes wine and he gets drunk it's another sin involving fruit so mankind continues to sin but then we see God forms a covenant with a man named Abram later called Abraham and he tells Abraham I'm going to give you many descendants I'm going to give you land what we know is the promised land and a worldwide blessing will come through your offspring and this starts to come to fruition. His descendants become numerous. They become the nation of Israel. But they're in slavery in Egypt. And they start to cry out to God. They're in slavery for 400 years. And then God raises up Moses to deliver them. So they flee Egypt. They cross the Red Sea miraculously. God parts the Red Sea. and Then they come to Mount Sinai. And this is where Israel enters into a covenant relationship with God and they receive the terms of the covenant, what we know as the law. So when the book of Hebrews talks about the Old Covenant, this is the covenant it's talking about. Now keep in mind the term Old Testament means Old Covenant. Testament is another word for covenant. Now the covenant at Mount Sinai is not the only covenant in the Old Testament, but it plays a major role in shaping the story of Israel. And as we'll talk about, This covenant was always meant to be temporary, and that's why it's called Old, the Old Covenant. But we'll get to that. So this covenant that God makes with Israel at Mount Sinai doesn't replace the covenant that he made with Abraham. Galatians 3 says the law, which came 430 years after Abraham, doesn't invalidate a covenant previously established by God. So the covenant at Sinai doesn't replace God's covenant with Abraham. It says Israel, the nation of Israel, will be the ones through whom a worldwide blessing will come. So think of this covenant at Sinai as an extension of the covenant with Abraham. God chooses Israel because of his promises to Abraham. And Exodus 19.6 says Israel is to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They're supposed to demonstrate to the rest of the world what it looks like to live under God's rule. Israel is supposed to be like another Adam. They corporately represent God to the other nations. They're supposed to show the other nations what God intended for humanity. So with that in mind, God gives Israel the law as the terms of the covenant. The law tells them how to operate as God's people. Now, we need to keep in mind the law was given to specific people in a specific context. And part of the function of the law was to set Israel apart from the nations. So sometimes you'll read these strange laws about not wearing certain things or not eating certain things. But understand that God was protecting Israel from the influence of other nations. Idolatry was rampant all around Israel. So God said, okay, the other nations dress this way and they eat this way as they worship their idols. So you're going to dress a different way. You're going to eat a different way. He was protecting them. He was keeping them separate so they could stay focused on him. So that's one role of the law. Keep that in mind as you read through some of the stranger laws of the Old Testament. But the law also answered The fundamental question, how can a holy, righteous God dwell in the midst of sinful people? The law revealed man's sinfulness and it pointed to the need for sacrifice. But ultimately it pointed to the need for something greater because as Hebrews 10.4 says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. One of the biggest myths about the old covenant is that It was about earning salvation. But it wasn't. It was never about earning salvation. The sacrifices of bulls and goats didn't give the Israelites salvation. Do you know how God's people have always been saved? Through faith. Through faith. Romans 4 says Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was saved before the law was ever given. How? By trusting God by trusting God's promises and his future plans to deliver his people. He didn't have all the answers that we have now, but he still had faith. And it was the same for Israel. It was never about being saved by the sacrifices of of bulls and, and goats. Those sacrifices were a constant reminder of Israel's sinfulness, but they were ultimately saved by faith in God's promises and in his future deliverance. But there is a sense in which these sacrifices allowed them to maintain their relationship with God. These sacrifices temporarily covered their their sins so that God could dwell in their midst. But these sacrifices did not provide true permanent forgiveness because only a perfect sacrifice could do that. So these sacrifices pointed to the need for something greater. So just as a quick recap, under the old covenant... The law allowed Israel to maintain a relationship with God. It allowed God to dwell in their midst. It set Israel apart from the nations. And it revealed mankind's sinfulness. And it pointed to the need for a greater sacrifice. Now keep in mind, this covenant was conditional. If Israel is faithful to God and his law, they will be blessed. They will live in the promised land, which is almost like a second Eden But if Israel isn't faithful to God, they will be exiled from the land. They'll be kicked out of the land just like Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Well, of course, Israel eventually turns from God. They fall into idolatry and they are exiled from the land by surrounding nations. And God's presence leaves the temple and seemingly all hope is lost. Until, until a young Israelite woman who is a virgin, gives birth to Jesus. Jesus, who is fully God, takes on flesh. And everywhere Israel failed, Jesus is faithful. Jesus' life parallels Israel's history in a lot of ways. First of all, significantly, Jesus is born to the line of Abraham and David. Now, we, we haven't talked about God's promises to David yet, but God promises David in 2 Samuel 7, that he will have a descendant who will sit on the throne of his kingdom forever. The promises made to Abraham are extended to David. They're going to be fulfilled through the line of David. So Jesus is born to the line of Abraham and David. And remember, before Israel's exodus, the Pharaoh of Egypt had many Israelite babies killed. But Moses, who was Israel's deliverer, was able to escape. And in Jesus's day, King Herod kills many Israelite babies in an attempt to kill Jesus, but Jesus also escapes. Israel, remember, went to Egypt to survive a deadly famine. Jesus's family survives King Herod's threats by going to Egypt. Israel crossed the Jordan River to enter the promised land. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River before he begins his ministry in Israel. Israel spends 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Jesus spends 40 days fasting in the wilderness, and he's tempted by the devil. Jacob had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus chooses 12 men to be his closest followers. So in all of these events, and many more, Jesus relives aspects of Israel's history. But this time, there's a much different outcome. Jesus lives a sinless life. He fulfills the law that Israel repeatedly failed to keep. And through his death, through his blood, he establishes a new covenant. A covenant where everyone who puts their faith in him is completely forgiven of their sins permanently. As Hebrews 7.25 says, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. He's the perfect sacrifice. Since he's fully God, he's the only one who could live a perfect life and bear the full weight of the sins of humanity. But since he's fully man, because he takes on flesh, he's able to redeem us and identify with us. So there's no longer a a need for constant sacrifices because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. And he offered himself, as Hebrews 10.10 says, once for all. And under this new covenant, instead of being held to a written law, an external law, God writes the law on our hearts. He gives us His Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us, and He writes His law on our hearts. Now, of course, that doesn't mean we're perfect. Okay, none of us are perfect. But He's given us the means to obey Him, to live a spirit filled life. We don't just follow external regulations anymore. We now have God Himself dwelling inside of us who transforms our hearts. So Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, a better covenant. Jesus is greater. He's our true high priest. Remember, in the Old Testament, priests would come and go, they would eventually pass away. But Jesus is our eternal priest. And again, because his sacrifice was perfect, there's no need for daily sacrifices anymore. And now all believers have access to God. In the Old Testament, only the high priest could enter the direct presence of God once a year. And that was on the Day of Atonement. But now, as Hebrews 4.16 talks about, since Jesus is our perfect high priest, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. All believers have access to God. God himself dwells inside of us. Don't take that for granted. And see how everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. As the book of Hebrews talks about, it was all a shadow of the reality that was to come. Now, I want to clear up some misconceptions. People often wonder, does the Old Testament law still apply today? Or maybe you'll hear a person try to call out Christians for being selective with Scripture because we don't obey dietary laws today. Things like not eating shellfish. But here's what we need to realize. Scripture calls the covenant at Mount Sinai the Old Covenant because it's no longer in effect. It's called Old for a reason. Hebrews 8.13 says, By saying a new covenant, he has declared that the first is obsolete and what is obsolete and growing old is about to pass away. The old covenant was always meant to be temporary. Galatians 3.24 says the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So we as Christians are no longer bound by the Old Testament law. The law was a guardian, as Galatians says. It helped reveal sin and it helped hold back the tides of evil until Jesus came. But now the law is no longer binding. Jesus fulfilled the law. So if somebody tries to call you out for not following Old Testament dietary laws, you can share Galatians 3.24 with them or Romans 7.6, which says, but now by dying to what once bound us, We have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We are no longer bound to the Old Testament law. But we need to be careful here because at this point, some people will be tempted to just write off the Old Testament completely. But we have to understand this is still the inspired word of God. And even though we aren't bound to the law in the same way that Israel was, there's still inspired truth here. And there are still universal transcendent truths about how God wants his people to operate. And keep in mind, when it comes to the 10 commandments, nine of the 10 are repeated in the new Testament. And what's the only one not repeated? The Sabbath, Sabbath rest. Why? Because the Sabbath pointed forward to the sustained rest, the eternal rest that Jesus brings to his people. So in some sense, even the Sabbath still applies, but it's been transformed. Now, when it comes to figuring out how the Old Testament applies to us today, some people will try to break up the Old Testament law into different categories, things like moral, civil, ceremonial. And they'll say only the moral laws still apply today. Well, that sounds nice in theory, but scripture never makes those distinctions between laws or categories of laws. And in fact, there's some sense in which the entire law was meant to be moral. So we're, we're better off evaluating each Old Testament law on its own to determine how it applies today. Because in some cases, like the Ten Commandments, nine of the Ten Commandments, The New Testament extends their validity today. And in some cases, like the food laws, Christ annuls it. He ends it. The New Testament declares all foods clean. Remember, part of the purpose of the food laws was to keep Israel separate from the world. But now Christians are supposed to go into the world and share the gospel. So those dietary laws are no longer in effect. And in other cases, like the Sabbath, a law is transformed into the fulfillment of what the Old Testament foreshadowed. So all of that to say, there's still so much to learn from the Old Testament. We can't throw it out like some people will suggest. The Old Testament is the foundation of our faith. Now, the Old Testament laws, it is true, they don't apply to us in the same way that they did for Israel but they still give us inspired revelation about the character of God. And the Old Testament still gives us transcendent moral principles that still apply today. And even if there are some laws that don't apply directly, we can still learn principles about the character of God, who God is, and the sinfulness of man. So read your Old Testament. That's the moral of the story here. Read your Old Testament. It's about 75% of our Bibles. And it's the foundation of the New Testament. Here's a fun fact for you. The New Testament quotes or references the Old Testament about 855 times. 855 times. You can't really understand the New Testament without the Old. So read your Old Testament. It is the inspired word of God. And it is good. So hopefully that discussion helps clear up some things for you as you read Hebrews, as you read scripture as a whole. And as we close, remember that God's covenant with Abraham still stands. He promised to bring a worldwide blessing through his offspring. Well, who was born to the line of Abraham? Jesus. Jesus paid for the sins of humanity. And then he left his disciples with a great commission. He said go and make disciples of all nations go and tell the world the good news about me understand we get to be part of the worldwide blessing of jesus we get to be part of the fulfillment of the story that started way back in genesis so let's live for that story let's live to advance god's kingdom There is no greater cause that we can give our lives for.